So this morning, as we've already talked about, is Easter Sunday, and it's full of a lot of various things that we like to find solace and comfort in, whether it be dressing up really nicely, being with family and eating. But we got to remember that Easter is a time to remember that the Christian gospel is one of defeat. And a lot of times we, we like to think about the victory that Jesus won, and we forget that it came because of Good Friday. We forget that Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus, and it's about God's victory over all of sin and death that we saw from the very beginning of our, of our readings. And so we celebrate the adverse of what victory is, and that's defeat. That you and I have to confess that we are defeated individuals. We have to confess that we don't bring anything to the table. And that's really hard for us in Greenville, South Carolina. It's really hard for us as human beings to confess that, hey, I'm not that good of a person. Because we do a lot of work to try to polish up the outside. We do a lot of work. In fact, if I'll give you a little anecdote. When people find out that I'm a pastor, the first thing they do is they apologize for cussing. They don't know that sometimes a, a, a dirty word slips out of my mouth every now and then because I, too, am a sinner. Because we do a really good job, at least we think we do, and yet anybody that knows us for any amount of time, I promise you this, if you're married, if you have a friend, if you have a parent, if you have a sibling, you ought to be reminded that you are not perfect. And instead of getting defeated about that, like I used to, I used to beat myself up that I wasn't perfect, God would remind you, and you, and you, and you, this morning that you aren't perfect. And that God loves you anyway. God loves you anyway. Even though you failed Him already this morning. Even though you failed Him yesterday and last night and the day before that. The glorious news of the gospel is that you are loved in spite of your unloveliness. But you have to confess that you are defeated foe. That did, did you hear as we were singing about in Exodus 15 that God has defeated his enemies? Did you ever consider that you were the enemy that he needed to defeat? You were the one who was saying, I will do it my way. In fact, if you were in the garden, you would have taken the fruit. If you were at the time of Noah, you would have been drowned. If you were at the time of the Exodus, you would have been drowned in the sea. Because you have, just like I have, been setting ourselves up as gods. We don't like it when people find out that we're not perfect. In fact, that's why it's hard for us to confess that I messed up. Because our idol is being crumbled. And that idol when we, is what we see when we look in the mirror. That we try so hard to have it together. And the gospel reminds us that you will never have it together. You see, we've been sitting under the word of God a little bit more than usual. In fact, I, don't, I didn't time it, but maybe like 20 minutes of just hearing scripture time after time. And, and one of the things um, that the Christian gospel does that's different than every other religion is that God draws near to the needy and to the weak. Every other religion, you may, you may, yes, Jesus is the is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. That's true, but in back of all that, what we see is why why does Jesus draw near? 
He draws near to the weak and needy, those who are sick, not those who are healthy. Every other religion says, get healthy, and then you'll be on your way to enlightenment. If you can fix yourself, then you'll go to heaven. But the Christian gospel deals in realities. It deals in the fact that God knows how you were this morning, that your hair wasn't brushed. And that hair that's not brushed is representative that your life that's disheveled. The makeup that's not put on, that's an image of what you look like as you are, without makeup, without being done up. Guys, without being shaven. The gospel sees you in light of that. And God says, I will draw near to you if you will look in the mirror and see yourself as I see you. Imperfect and in need of confessing. And so we confess this morning that we don't have it together. And and in fact, another thing that I, I hope you may have noticed, maybe you didn't, all of our texts, every single text that we read came from the Old Testament. Did you notice that? Every single text came from the Old Testament. That's that's on purpose. There was there was time and thought put into that. Because there's a pernicious rumor going around the church that says, I am a, a New Testament Christian, and I'm not reading the Old Testament. But God this morning reminded us that He has always been in the business of redeeming sinners. This isn't something new when Jesus showed up on the scene. Jesus is continuing in the line of redeeming God's people. And these are all but shadows of God's redemption. So we need to remember that Jesus read from the Old Testament. Jesus, in fact, fulfilled all of the Old Testament. There's no way to understand what Jesus was doing if you don't read Ezekiel and Isaiah and Deuteronomy and, yes, Leviticus and Genesis. That Jesus read those and he grew in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, his Lord, his Father, and he redeemed his people in light of that Old Testament. So don't poo-poo the Old Testament. Don't do away with the Old Testament. Don't think that it is just something that gets us to the New Testament. No, it's the whole story of God's redeeming of his people. Jesus said that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing this morning. And so what we see as we heard all of these things, as we heard all these different passages, is that the story of redemption teaches us that if you want to know God, if you want to enter his presence, you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. God's demands are perfect. God himself is holy and perfect. So if you want to get anywhere near God, you have to be perfect and holy. This is the whole tenor of the New Testament, in fact, is that so much of our lives, we have been trying, like I said earlier, to polish ourselves and to show ourselves. But if you get really honest with yourself, you're not perfect, right? And I I hope, in fact, that you're saying, hey, you know what, Matt, that, that makes me a little uncomfortable that you're saying we have to be perfect. I wanted to land on you and me this morning that God says you can have eternal life if you can follow all of my demands. See, the problem isn't that you and I physically can't do it. You and I physically can obey God. We can choose not to wear cotton blend shirts. 
We can choose to sacrifice certain animals. We can choose to do certain things. This whole story of the Old Testament is that you and I can actually physically obey God perfectly. You and I can do it. What's the problem? Is that the Old Testament shows that you and I don't want to do it. We have a physical ability to obey God. It's not like he's saying, hey Matt, I want you to, I want you to fly. I'm not physically capable of flying. God's not saying, I want you to do something that's impossible. Because he wants to show you that you are able to obey him. But the problem is, is that it's not that we aren't strong enough. It's that we have an infirm and sick and weak spirit. We hear God say, you've got to do all of this to be near me, and we don't want to do it. So the problem is not with our strength. The problem is with our hearts. The problem is with our desires. The problem is with our moral inability to follow and obey God. If you wanted to, you could obey God. But you and I don't want to. That's the story of the, of the gospel. That, that grace is needed because you and I don't want to obey. Not because we can't obey. It's not like we're chained up. We chose those chains. We chose that dungeon. We chose that tomb to go into. And we think that, hey, if I can just be better than the next person, then I'm okay. That's not God's standard. God's standard is to say, hey, as long as you're not a murderer, as long as you don't uh, you know, steal stuff, no, that's not God's standard. God's standard is perfection, holiness, pure, unadulterated righteousness. And unless you let that land on you, you can't understand the gospel. Because you and I don't want to. And so God says, you know what? I know that. I know that. You're physically not you're physically able to do it, but your your heart doesn't want to do it. I have to send a redeemer. Because isn't that what we just heard from Genesis 1, Genesis 3, and so forth? Is that the story of redemption is that people, our first parents, on down to our aunts and uncles and first and second cousins, and ourselves, that we don't want to obey. We don't want to do it. Because within three chapters, the serpent comes to the Adam and Eve. And what does he say? It, it doesn't take a whole lot of coercing, does it? It takes just a few verses. It takes like one question and a couple sentences. And then that shows what is really in their heart already. You and I don't need very much to disobey God. We just need a lollipop in front of us. We just need something to say, you don't really want, you don't really want, you don't really want to be with God. And so what's necessary is that God has to give us a new heart. And we're going to get into that in a second. But see, the, the story starts at Genesis 1 and 3, and then it continues. It continues, doesn't it? And you think that, okay, there is going to be a seed of the woman. It's not, Eve is not going to be able to crush the serpent's head. There has to be an offspring of the woman. And so we look, and is it Cain? No. Jealous Cain kills his brother. Is it Seth? The appointed one? No. Seth doesn't prove to be very strong either. And then you see the story of Noah. Noah, whose very name means rest, that maybe God's going to give rest to his people. 
But we see that even after Noah is redeemed, that he himself is a sinner as he gets drunk in the garden, just like his, his, his parents before him, that he sinned in the garden. And then we see uh, Abraham, the father of many nations. We think, man, this is going to be the one. The father of many nations is going to be the one who redeems us. And he risks that seed by letting his wife be taken into a harem, not once, but twice. And we say, maybe it's Isaac. Maybe Isaac, this one who's going to be going to be killed on this altar, maybe Isaac's going to be the one to redeem all of humanity. And he is led like a sheep before its shears is silent. He's quiet. And see, the problem is, and as you see at the end of his life, is that he is, he is infirm himself, and he is not strong enough to redeem God's people. You see it in wicked Jacob, who deceived his brother Esau. You see it throughout the story, and that may be, Maybe the kings, maybe King David will redeem God's people. He failed. Maybe all the kings that come after him, they all fail. That's the story of our redemption. Is that like an opera, there's this refrain of maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one who's going to save us. But there's always that little flat note that ruins the whole song. And so God doesn't relent playing that song of redemption. He says, I'll continue. I will continue to send people to redeem you, but they won't completely redeem you because there has to be a perfect one, a righteous one, a holy one who loves me, who doesn't just obey me perfectly, but obeys me perfectly because he loves me perfectly. He has the right heart. He has the right disposition. He, in fact, is pure and blameless and holy. You see... The risen Christ is, in fact, the Redeemer of the world. The one in whom we find God's yes to all our longings. God's amen to all of our needs. That's where the story of redemption was going, and that's where it's fulfilled in Jesus. You see, the cost for our redemption, as we heard in Isaiah, it costs nothing. Come, buy wine, buy milk that has no cost. Why does it have no cost? Because you and I can't pay that cost. You and I can't pay for this immeasurable amount that is needed for us to enjoy God's blessings. There's only one who could pay that cost. And because he has paid that cost, we can come to the fountain of living water. And we can drink until we're full. And we don't have to keep beating ourselves up and saying, woe is me, every time. You see... As great, though, as our redemption is, as great as it is, it doesn't end with just forgiveness of sin. I think you and I get that. I think I don't need to tell you too much that, hey, you and I, we sin, we we mess up. I think we get that. But that's not the story of Easter, is it? Why does the church, why has the church celebrated Easter more than Good Friday? It's because the story of redemption is not just about freeing you from being a slave to your sin. That's good news. But that's not the greatest news. Yes, you're forgiven of your sin. The greatest news, though, is that God, by His Spirit, wants to come to you and give you life. He doesn't want you to just say, man, I'm forgiven. No, He wants you to say, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to walk in newness of life. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. I'm not who I was. In fact, I love God actually now. 
I want to obey God now, which is not something that you did before. You see, that's what the prophet Ezekiel says. He reminds us that God's unrelenting grace is not just about forgiveness, but he wants to come into your very insides. He wants to pull out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Why? So that you can be alive. So that you can love the things that God loves. So that you can actually, by the same spirit that that redeemed Israel, that very same spirit can reside in you and give you new life. You see, the Apostle Paul gets this in Romans 4. He said this, Jesus was delivered up on the cross for our trespasses, and he was raised for our justification. Without a resurrection, you and I will remain in our sin, because without the resurrection, there is no full forgiveness of sin. See, all the rams and all the goats, all the bulls, they never came back to life. Because there was a need of a resurrection. There was a need of God saying, I will give life to you if you will confess your sin. That's, that's part of the problem in the Christian life is that we just think it's about forgiveness. It is about forgiveness. And because we've been forgiven, we can actually live the life that God has created us to live from Genesis 1. And so... Why do we celebrate a risen Christ? Because without the resurrection, there is no justification. There is no being made right with God. There is no walking to Him. You remain dead in your sins. And see, a lot of times what happens at Easter is that the resurrection, Easter itself, gets pretty sentimentalized. In fact, I saw a lot of church billboards saying, Time for a new start. The lilies are up and God loves you and it's time to start again. Jesus, and this is the problem, there are a lot of greasy wolves in sheep's clothing that say, you know what, the story of Easter is really just about the spiritual life that you can have. It's about new beginnings. It's about second chances. It's about getting it up and strapping up the bootstraps and going forward. And so, so underneath these currents, I call them sheep's and wolves clothing because they're denying the physical resurrection of Jesus. If there's no physical resurrection of Jesus, there's no spiritual resurrection of Jesus. He just is everybody like every other teacher that died and didn't physically raise again because that's the beauty of the Christian message is that in your sin you will die, but in Christ you will be given new life, physical life. You will be resurrected with Christ, and that's miraculous. In fact, I don't know if as we were listening to these different stories, like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing that water was blown to the sides and they walked on Not soggy land, but dry land. God redeemed his people. And God redeems his people. This physical, physical nature of what God does for you and me cannot be bypassed. And say, yeah, Jesus rose again. No, he raised again once and for all so that you and I can be raised with him physically, really, truly. And if there is no physical resurrection, then we are without hope. We are without hope. You see... The physical resurrection is the only thing that frees us to not fear death. A lot of times, if I'm honest with myself, I'm afraid to die. And maybe you're afraid to die too. And I think the gospel would say to us, there is no fear in death because you will be raised if you believe in Christ. The one who is raised from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. So friends, I think it might be best to to end our time 
by just merely saying the physical resurrection of Jesus matters. It really matters. And that physical resurrection promises spiritual resurrection if you'll confess your sin. And you don't have to continue to pretend like you have it together. The sooner you confess your sin, the sooner God can come in and bring light to the darkness. That's what Easter is about. Easter is about a physical king who takes your greatest fear, death, your greatest enemy, sin, and he says, I will decimate all of those enemies and I will bring salvation to you, if you will, but believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that many times we are led astray by explaining away the resurrection, explaining away miracles, explaining away our own sin and striving. And yet, Father, you are there in those quiet nights when we are scared, in those quiet nights when we are disappointed. In those secret places where we try to hide our sin, you are even there. And so, Father, we come to you, a mighty Savior, who loves us, who loves us, who sees us, who shines your light on us and draws near to us. So, Father, help this Easter of 2018. Help it not to just be like every other Easter, but by your Spirit, would you come in and breathe life to where there is no hope? Would you come into the humdrum, the, the malaise of just going through the motions of life? And would you, by your Spirit, breathe life into us to see that you are ever-present and that you are ever-ready to love and care for your people? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.